Good evening, everybody. This is Unscripted. My name is Tim Lindsay. Aaron McLaughlin's here. We are honored to have Clint Pulver here. He's going to talk about his new book. He's going to talk about his entire journey. Uh, before we before we got started, I, I I bromanced a little bit and talked about where I first saw you. It was it was across the deli. We both reached for the ham at the same time. So it was a it was a it was a it was an event. Yeah, you're welcome. It was it was an event out in Park City, Utah. Uh, our our mutual um, our mutual friend Diana Kokoska got us in the same room, and you uh, you came and uh, performed. There's there's drums to talk about, and then we saw you again um, at an event in New York, um, and just phenomenal speaker. Such a great story, and uh, I'd love for you uh, to. Well, we, you can take this wherever you want to. Obviously, we want to talk about your book that's coming out in April. Uh, I'd love for you to tell the the Mr. Jenk story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, it's an honor to be on the show. It really means a lot. I, uh, it, man, any anybody that's in that Keller Williams world, like, mm -hmm. you're, just, you're just family. And I, <laughs> I think I've done- We try. Well. Yeah, well, it, it matters, right? And there's yeah. certain audiences where, you know, you get up on stage and you see an audience mm. and you get off stage and you still see the audience. But then there's those events where you get up, you see an audience and you get off and you see- friends you see yeah friends. yeah and and that's that every kw event it just it's always been like that so it's very special for me um the story that you're referring to is is kind of a fairly fairly well-known story it happened to me when i was a little kid I, I had a hard time sitting still uh my 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 right hand would constantly move my, my left hand i would just tap 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 yeah. tap 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 yeah. and it wasn't really like nervousness i just had a hard time focusing and I just, I had to move. I still have to move. It's just still yes. a part of who I am. Yeah. And obviously though, if you're tapping and you're hitting something in a class or a meeting, everybody else is like, do it one more time and I'm going to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got nicknamed the Twitcher. People called me uh... the Tapper. It was constantly deemed a problem. Uh, it was an issue and sent to the principal's office until one day there was a teacher and, and his name was Mr. Jensen. And he was an older teacher that had been teaching for a long time. He looked at me and he said, listen, get in the back. I said, okay, stop tapping for a minute. He said, I need, I need to talk to you. After class, you and me. And all the other kids are like, oh my gosh, Twitcher's gonna die. Like, <laughs> big deal. Like, teacher tells you to stay after class. Like, you're in trouble. Yep. Bell rings. It's me and Mr. Jensen. He, he goes to the back of the room, pulls up a chair and he says, listen, everybody uh, sees you as, as kind of the problem. He's like, you tap a lot. You tap in my class, you tap in everybody else's class. And it's an issue, right? You're the kid mm. that's on the list. But he said, but I've watched you though. I watch you and he said, it's crazy. You, you'll start moving your right hand while you write with your left hand. And then you start, you know, you can tap with your, your left hand. You'll start writing and doing your assignment with your right hand. And the Peter he going, said, I, he's like, I think you're ambidextrous. And I was like, no, I'm Presbyterian. He said, Oh, do you know how rare that is though? Right? Yeah. As I, a teacher, I, I could tell you it's super I, rare. Yeah. And I, I didn't. And he, he said, okay, try this. He said, can you tap your head and then rub your belly at the same time? He's like, just try this for me. So I gave it a go. I could do it like without thinking about it. And he's like, can you switch it then? Can you then rub your head and tap your belly? And literally back and forth. Yeah, without yeah, yeah. About yeah I can't I do, I can't even a little bit think about doing it. Yeah. And, and it was just like a natural innate thing. And and he he smiled after I was I was doing this and he leaned forward and he said, I, I don't think you're a problem. 
I just think you're a drummer. That's awesome. And, you know, most people hear that and they go, what's the difference between those two things? <laughs> right? <You're> right. Like, <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. He, he, he leaned back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. That's so cool. That's amazing. And, and really what he did, you guys, and after years and years of talking about this and analyzing this and, you know, looking at the moment of what that really was, he designed it. He took initiative to create a meaningful moment in the life, in the life of somebody that ultimately helped me live a better story. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was something that created lasting influence. And he, he handed me the drumsticks and he said, listen, I want you to take these sticks and I want you to just keep them in your hands. Let's just see what happens. That was almost 22 years ago. And I can sit here today and, and honestly say 22 years ago to this, almost this exact day, I have tried to keep drumsticks in my hands uh, as much as I can. And I've toured and recorded all over the world playing drums as a professional drummer and musician. I've been on America's Got Talent. I, I remember I graduated college and I had zero college debt. And that was all from music scholarships. Wow. Playing the drums. That's amazing. And I don't say all those things to go, wow, oh my gosh, Clint, that's, look at that list of accolades. That's not the reason. The reason I say that is because one person helped me see potential. Yeah. One person helped me write a better story. And in doing so, I lived a, I lived a better life. That's awesome. It's, it, so, it really is so cool. It like unbelievable. And the power that, that the influence, because I think everybody to your point, um, I said, Mr. Jenks, it's Mr. Jensen. Um, to, to your point, everybody has that teacher in their life, right? I'm sure Aaron does. If I think, and I, we joked about this before, I've got Miss Carrie. Miss Carrie was my sixth grade teacher in Shelter, Massachusetts, just head over heels in love with her. But I've got all these yeah. great stories with her and just, yeah, she was massively influential, right? Um, one of the few reasons that like, I, I think she was the first reason I realized, that, oh, if you like the teacher, just be a pain and they move your desk closer. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, to me, to I was me. teacher's pet. It was You're beneficial on a me for a million of reasons. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how that works. Well, and I can say just as a teacher, I was a teacher for 17 years and to have kids who actually are truly able to use both sides of their body with equal skill is not, um, you don't see it all the time. And it, and I think, Thankfully, my training, when I did see that uh, a handful of times in my career, kids that would in kindergarten color with both hands at the mm. same time, I would be like, do you know how special you are? You have this super cool skill. You're using so much more of your brain than I am. Mm. Like literally <laughs> all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, so I think hopefully we've come a lot farther than um, when you were in school um, and teachers just didn't understand what it was that made you work, right? Like what it was that was driving you to, to do the things. And I'm so thankful that it was a teacher that helped you to um, figure out your talent, right? Your genius zone. <laughs> yeah, I got very lucky. I was very fortunate and... I, and again, but even in, in the research that I've done and, and the new book that's coming out, we have seen those types of individuals and they become legendary. Yeah. I love that movie, The Sandlot, where you have those, yeah. they hit the ball over the fence and they're trying to get this ball from the dog and it's signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah. But Benny, Benny has that dream. If you remember Benny, the character, he has a dream and Babe Ruth appears to him in the dream. Yeah. There's that like classic line in the movie where he says, heroes get remembered 
but legends never die. Yeah. And every time I hear that, I I think heroes get remembered, but the Mr. Jensen's. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they do. They become legendary. They become those people that you just never forget. And they simply, all they did was get to the part about you. That's all they did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's such a, it's such a simple concept, but it, it blows my mind how, how easy it is to forget that and how we get caught up in the hustle and bustle and the management and the numbers and the stats and the quotas and the growth and scaling our business. Yeah. And we forget about the humanity mm. of, of what is, what is, what is beautiful about what we get to do every day. Right. Yeah. So in, 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 in our role with, with our company, um, you know, we're meeting with uh, our, our clients on a regular basis and they're coming in and they've, they're managing all of their life. And, uh, you know, that after, after you, you were in the, the New York event that I attended. And I remember when we walked in, because that, that event is designed that we don't know all the things that we're going to encounter throughout the week. Yeah, so surprising. the only reason I knew that you were going to be there again, and I had just seen you in park city, maybe the summer before two summers before I could tell it was a drum set that was covered. And I turned, I, I turned to, uh, to, to Nate, our, uh, our, our owner here. And I said, I said, oh, Clint's here. He's like, who's Clint? I'm like, you'll see. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It was just such a good, and, 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 you know, and, and even, and you, you told some different stories, but obviously you talked about Mr. Jensen. You told, you told the, the airplane portion, like yeah. all, all that kind of stuff. And I think it, what's important is I, I came back from that New York event and, and crafted that sign from my door that says um, the part of the day that's all about you is on the other side of this door because you spoke to that. Yes. Right. We just we sit people down. We're telling them to do this, do that. And, and in, in any industry, it's it, again, it's about managing the metrics and scaling our business and and getting back down to like, OK, how are you doing? Right. Yes. And, and, and making sure there's an emotional connection, because what we understand and I, I know I know, you know, this and, and God willing, most leaders know this at, at companies. People don't leave companies. They leave leaders. If there's yeah. a lack of leadership, they're going to seek it somewhere else. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and I would say along with that, that they don't work for organizations. Good employees work for mentors. Mm. And, and there was a really cool distinguishment that we found in, in the research of the Undercover Millennial Program, the difference between a leader, a manager, and a mentor. Mm. Three big distinctions there. And the mentor, that was where real significance lay. That was, that was where real engagement and loyalty happened was with that mentor it matters so when you're talking about mentor like can you define that a little bit like what do you mean by mentor yeah so let me give just a little bit of background so for the last five years i have Mm. worked as the undercover millennial it's kind of like undercover boss without the yeah yeah so i i have gone in who's the kid with the drumsticks yeah right (laughs) yeah a millennial with drumsticks. Yes. He's yeah. using a uh, lot of his brain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so I would, I would go, I would work with an organization <clears throat> and I would go in as a millennial who mm. was looking for a job. So I look literally like this. I have a backwards hat on just regular t-shirt yeah. and I go into the Verizon store, a Chick-fil-A or wow. a, whatever kind of organization. And yeah. I would just go up and say, Hey, I'm just thinking about working here. Uh, I'm thinking about applying. What's it like? And then the employee, they get quiet, they look around, and then they tell me everything. Yes. Everything. Oh, that's awesome. The good, the bad, because I'm not a manager, right? I'm not in the organization. I'm not a survey. Yeah. I'm just another millennial. I'm a customer. I'm, 
I'm coming in and thinking about honestly putting my heart and soul into a company. And so we've created an environment where people could speak their truth. Mm. And for the last five years, we, we've worked with 180 organizations and we've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. That's it, huh? Yeah, that's, wow. that's amazing. I'll never do it again. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it has been uh, so much work, yeah. but it, it's been such a beautiful thing at the same time because the magic of all of the research was not when I would work with an organization and mm. employee after employee was dissatisfied with the job. That was not right. That was not significant. What was magical is when I would work with an organization and I'd go up to an employee and say, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. Yeah. The title of your book. I love my job. Spoiler alert. Yes. I love it here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we we called the book. I love it here. Mm. But the reason then behind how great leaders were creating an organization that people never wanted to leave. And then when that response would trend in a company, I'd go to the next employee and the next and the next. And they'd all just, we love it here. You need to apply. Come be a part of what we're doing. Yeah. Our organization's amazing. Our, our leadership is amazing. So I preface that to tell you that mentorship was the number one thing that employees talked about when they were satisfied with their job. When they hated the job, they hated the manager. When they loved their job, they talked about the mentor. Now, mentorship is really cool because it's not leadership. Mm. Right. Like we need to draw the line in the sand there because leadership is all about, you know, you are the leader. You, you're the visionary. You, you stand in front and you lead and mm. people follow you. You are, you are controlling the direction of the ship. Now, a manager is all about making sure there's no holes in the ship, making sure that the, the, the ship can move swiftly through the ocean, right? It can mm. do its job and we're, we're staying productive. Mm. But the mentor takes care of the people on the ship. The mentor is, not, is, is all about shoulder to shoulder. How do I, as a leader, or in this case, a mentor, how do I connect you to your dreams? The reason I call it mentorship is because mentorship cannot be a title. Like we give leadership titles, like you're in a position of leadership. You're a leader in this company. You're a leader in the organization. You're a manager. Mm. Mentorship does not work that way. Why? Because mentorship has to be earned. And that's why it's so powerful to earn the title of a mentor in someone's life. You have to earn that because you can't become a mentor until the mentee invites you into their heart. And you know, you look at any great story, like a really good film or a good play. You always have the hero of the story and they're trying to go through a really difficult thing. They're overcoming some obstacle, Mm. but in every great story who then eventually appears in the hero's life. Yoda. Boom. A mentor. <laughs> Amen. Yes. The Yodas, right? The Obi-Wan Kenobis. The, yeah. uh, you know, Aladdin had the genie. Frodo yep. had Gandalf. Mick, yep. I love the movie Rocky. Uh, yes. Rocky yes. and Mick, yes. right? These significant individuals that they were the catalyst mm. to connect somebody to their dream. Yep. I like myself best because of you and because of who you are, I will get to live a better story. Mm. So I want to associate with you when a manager or a leader could become that, oh man, game over. Uh, it was the most thrilling thing to watch. It's hard to achieve, but when it was achieved, miracles happened in the workplace. So with Mr. Jensen years ago, would you at, in that moment, would you categorize him as a, a, a leader or a mentor for you? I, I would categorize him 
as as both. Here's the thing: okay. if you can be a leader, that's that's important. You need mm. leadership. You also mm. need mentorship. You also need management. Sure. The three categories of of how this all helps to move an organization forward, how it helps to move people forward, is important. Mm. Um, but here's the thing with with mentorship and. And you can tell me, you guys know the story, if, if you would categorize Mr. Jensen as a mentor, there's five characteristics that qualify somebody to be a mentor. And I call them the five C's of mentorship. Number one is confidence. It's a mindset that they have. Yep. I want to trust and work with someone who is confident. Number two is credibility. Yeah. Like what's your background? The, have you, I mean, okay, you talk about selling homes, you know, how many ho- homes have you sold? What's your, what's your resume? Yeah. The third piece is competence. Yeah. Right. You might know everything about the sales process, but like, can you actually get in and do it? Do you know how to fill out a contract? Do you know mm-hmm. the processes? Do you know the software? Mm-hmm. You might know everything about basketball. Can you get out and shoot a hoop? Right. And, and then the, the, the fourth piece is candor. They had the ability to create relationships so strong that honesty could exist. Yes. Yep. I want to mentor with someone who's going to give it to me straight. Yeah. yeah. Well, Diane, Diana's husband, Tony DeCello, was oh, yeah. infamous for care and candor. In Absolutely. a coaching conversation, he'd be like, I can move you with a feather, a bat, or a bus. Yes. Yeah. Choose Which one. one you- right. Yeah. It's like the yeah. end of Goodwill Hunting. So there were there was a wrench and and a and a you know, a, I forget what the other thing, a wrench and a belt or something. You know, I I took the wrench. Why? And everybody knows what the next line is. We're not gonna say it here. Yes. Um yeah. Yes. So care and candor. Yeah. Uh, because if you're allowed to have that honest conversation, uh when Aaron and I are talking to our agents, it's all about, you know, um, you know, are you going to ask great questions, take great notes and have honest conversations? Cause yeah. all of those, all of those are important. Like if you're not willing to take all the information that you were just given by this person to then redirect them and, and allow them to think differently. Right. Yep. Like I, I, yep. I, anytime I get into it with um, any of my direct reports, I'll always say, listen, don't tell me how to feel. We're not allowed to tell each other how to feel as a, as a coach though, my job is to help you think differently. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, so if we can't have that care and candor, then we are, you know, we, I, I think back to metrics, if we are not able to have those conversations and wrap them around metrics and what our accountability is, then we can become emotional leaders. Yes. And you have that, to have standards and yeah. you have to be able to connect. And, and unfortunately, I think in the business world, a lot of managers and leaders fall more on the standard side. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because it's easy to measure, right? It is. It is. Yeah. It is the tangible side of business where yeah. the connection is an intangible. It's a, we call it soft skills. Right. Yeah. I call it human skills. Like yeah. it, it is something that is critical because because no significant loyalty ever happens without significant connection. Yeah. And so many yeah. leaders, they it's like they're standing in front of a fireplace mm. and they, they stand in front of their people and they go, give me heat, then I'll give you wood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give me heat, then I'll give you wood. Yeah. You know, do something, earn my respect, then I'll yeah. give you respect. Yeah. And instead, we, we've got to give and cultivate an environment where we're connecting, getting to the part about them. Then we can make the withdrawals. Then yep. we can talk yep. about everything else. Well, it's interesting. You talk about that. You know, you're making me think about um, when I was a teacher, I worked with um, children who had significant uh, reading disabilities. Yes. And I would meet with their parents and I'd say, there's going to be a point where, um, you know, Timmy is going to cry. Oh, it'll be later when Clint leaves. It's going to happen. And you need to trust that it's 
because it's part of this process and mm. it's not because I'm hurting him in any way. Mm. And the moment that he cries is likely the moment he's going to become a reader. Yeah. I don't know why it's part of the process, but it is. And, um, <laughs> I realized at some point in the process that I needed to tell parents this yeah. because, um, I recognized that's the moment when they trusted me to stop putting up all these walls as to what was getting in their way. Yeah. That's the moment that I had enough, all of these things, right? Like that I had their trust, that they knew that I was credible, that all these other teachers that didn't teach them to read were not the same as me, right? Like that, um, and that we are, we're going to get really raw with each other. And you're going to show me all the places you're falling down so I can help you build tools. Right. Mm. So you're just making me think of that moment. And the parents would look at me like, <laughs> um, excuse me. Mm. And it would always around like the 30, 40 day mark. And, um, and then they would call me and say, he came home crying today, but he can't put his book down. Yeah. And I'd be like, it's game on buddy. This is where we're going to go. Like, and it's just, you're just making me think of like, I don't think I recognized any of like at the time that that's what I was doing. Right. So you just named something that was part of my practice for years as a teacher. So thank you for that little gift. Um, it's the difference between advocating versus developing. Yeah. yeah. Important. Uh, but again, when they realize that you become that advocate, that you've got their best interest at heart. Yeah. That's where the magic happens, right? Like you can learn to read, you can build a career, you can, you know, whatever. So the suspense is killing me. The fifth C Clint. Yeah. What's the fifth one? So the fifth C you nailed it, uh, Tim, it is, it is caring. So that is the fifth element. I think the moment we stop caring for individuals, uh, is the moment we fail in our mentorship. Cause here's the thing you can, you can mentor from people or you can, uh, let me rephrase that. You can learn from people that are credible they have confidence, they have the competence, uh, they, they can tell it to you straight. But for true mentorship, that relationship that's binding, that relationship where it's not just I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing something from you, I'm right. from you, but it's truly a partnership that you care about me as a person, not just to spill all the information into right. my mind. Right. You right. actually value who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a whole nother level. And, uh, yeah, so so that's it. Those are the five C's. Confidence, credibility, competence, candor, and the ability to care. If you can possess those skills and you can earn that in yeah. your people, they will they will not only follow you, but they will cherish you. Yeah. And that was what was so fun to see. You know, the managers that were just cherished. They were loved. But also they were respected. They might not have always been liked. I do need right. to see that too. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I was, well, that's what I that's what you're making. I was just thinking of. of Michael from Dunder Mifflin with like best boss ever, right? Yeah. And he had this false sense that everyone adored him, but they were like, he'd shut the door and they were laughing at him, right? Right. But and 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 you know, uh I'll I'll shove our dear friend here, Nathan, under the bus. Um he surrounded himself with a group. Um, and it's I mean, I think in any in any industry, it's very rare to have um a leadership group. Uh, in any office setting that has been uh, together for as long as we have. And we haven't been that long, but we've been working together side by side. And I always joke that if you took a shot at him, we'd dive in front 
and we take the bullet, we rip it out of our chest and throw it back. Like he's got people around him that are, that yeah. we are the human moat around him. And, and yeah. And he just, he's always been, he started as an agent. He's moved up through the ranks and he just wants people to enjoy the gift that, that this industry gives. And, and you know, we, we get to do that every day with arguably the largest transaction in most people's lives. So it's, it's really interesting. And I love that you made the point too about standard and connection. And I think that plays back into something that Aaron and I are always talking about is the, the IQ and the EQ. I think the emotional quotient is lost with a lot of people because it gets lost in the metrics and we have to be hitting these numbers. And as long as I'm doing this, and that's where for our industry, it can become transactional or the legacy play. That's what I was just thinking about, like you know? repeat business. Like how do you build in any business, right? Like how do you keep people coming back to you you can do all the things, but if you don't, if they don't feel cared for, yep. then they're going to go take the cheaper option or the, you know, they could be swayed by new flashy things, right? Like you're, you're, you don't build customers for life with, um, without the care. Yeah. Like it's really important, but it's interesting now that I'm not, like in a business world for the last, uh, four years, um, how, we have to actually teach people this, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> like yeah. you need to, you need to actually care about them, yeah. right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and unfortunately, I think so many, so many, uh, so many managers, I, 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 I've seen this over the five years of doing this, that there's so many managers that are just put into management because they were promoted. Right. Not because they wanted to be a manager. Mm. And right, it's an increase in pay. Usually, mm. there's also a an ego boost. There's a little status that's put to to leadership. Like, oh, you're the manager. Like that that mm. that means something. Yeah. Uh, right. And so what happens is you have a really good sales rep, or you have a really good employee, and you don't want to lose them. And so what does leadership do? They just promote them into management. And a lot of the times they give them zero management training, and they're just they have no. No idea what they're doing or they have no desire to connect with people they don't understand that it is it is a stewardship mm. not just a, a, a development process mm. and and then they wonder why people leave and they wonder why they, they they don't retain people and unfortunately most managers will have no clue that they're doing poorly i i've asked so many managers like how do, how do you think you're doing how do you think you're doing and most managers are like yeah we're doing really well yeah i, I mean we're, we're, I mean, we're, we've got the vision statement, you know, our, our goals, we're, we're driving numbers, you know, we're staying really productive. We're making we're some money. You got the OSHA sign behind them. No deaths today. It's been yeah. 28 minutes since somebody fell. Yeah. 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 And they're like, yeah, I talked to my people, you know, we've got a great relationship. They love me. It's all good. And, and so here's, here's what happens. The manager sits down with an employee and says, you know, they do the one-on-one -on -one meetings. Mm. You know, what can I do more for you? What do you, what do you need? Most employees are never going to tell you to your face how they really feel. Right. What, what, what they will say is, no, it's cool, man. It's awesome. You're doing great. And yeah, I'm just happy to be on the team. It's, it's awesome. What they're really thinking is, dude, you micromanage everything that we do. When we win as a team, you take the credit. When we lose as a team, you blame everybody. Everyone, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. You, you, you're constantly on my back. You constantly check in. Your leadership style, it's always tight. It's all, whatever the situation. And some of those might be extreme, mm. but that's, that's what a lot of people are thinking. But they will never tell you that. Yeah. And then they just leave four months later. And they, they put in their two-week resignation, and, and, and it shocks the manager. The manager's <laughs> like, oh, how, what? 
I had no, yeah. and then they, and then they blame the, the generation, right? Dang millennials. It's so yeah. hard to find good help. <laughs> like, I love that you're referencing that. What? Dang I, so, millennials. So, well, uh, I, if I hear that one more time. And it was probably actually <laughs> at, 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 um, one of the two events that, that we had met at, I, I remember somebody saying like one of the first people to recognize the fact that generations always blame the younger generation. It was oh, yeah. eons, eons ago. Yeah. Like eons ago that, that, that this started that the, the, the next generation just doesn't get it. And it's the communication to your point, the manager, um, at, in, in any business in any industry that's so shocked that they're leaving, right? Yeah. When was your last conversation that was filled with care and candor? where you found out what was really going on, um, you know, and, and not to go like 90 layers deep, we pride ourselves here making sure that we're having conversations that I could tell you for the most part, I know their spouse or partner, I'm pretty good with the kids names, I probably don't know the third cat's name. But at the same time, I also do have a, a, a pretty decent understanding of what's going on with them. And as the numbers grow, that becomes a challenge. And now we're attacking it as an entire team, making care calls and checking it because that's been massive over the last 12 months, uh, certainly in our industry. Um, because we're given the opportunity to do that. Like we, we're not, we're not punching a clock and getting our TPS reports ready for the, you know, for the, for the end of the day, we can just call our people and check on them. You know, yeah. first things first, because that the, the window between when you, when you bought your house and you're going to sell your house or whenever your next move is, um, is, you know, at national average three to seven years. Yeah. So me calling Clint today is just, how are you? Totally. You know, and we need more of that. So, mm. so many, so many, you know, like, like this, the phone, like, doesn't that seem like so 2018? It's crazy. <laughs> like, we because we do everything through Zoom. We do, we yep. like, Zoom is associated with work. Uh, you know, just simply picking up the phone. And you're yep. not there to check quotas. You're not there to go over performance. Yep. You're not there to, 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 to strategize. You're literally just calling to check in. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how are I? I'm just literally thinking about you. How are the kids? Yeah. What's going on? Well, like, yeah. and if it was missing before COVID, it's non-existent now. If the, if your culture and your company didn't include caring on others, and you, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think very many people are calling me to care like business people. I don't have anyone mm. like, hey, yeah. hey, Aaron, it's yeah. the butcher. Like, <laughs> how are you? Yep. I'm just checking on you. We haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing okay? You know, I think if, if that wasn't like ex part of your practice, it's now not at all. Yeah. And the opportunity to accidentally care for people isn't presenting itself. Um, I mean, you could like literally go from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, not mm -hmm. having a care-filled conversation, having everything be task-oriented. Right. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, before this call, uh, we were in a meeting and I took the last couple of minutes to just say to my coworker who I have not been in the same space with for a year. How are you? How are you? Yeah. How are you doing? Mm. What's been going on? And I realized like, I haven't had that conversation with her in months mm. and that's, you know, that's a bummer, but it's also like, we have to be thoughtful about that. And, and I think we have a culture where we do care for each other. Um, so the fact that, you know, it's not top of mind, if it's, if it's not top of mind in your company, I can't imagine how companies that have sent everybody home mm. that are not having these yeah. conversations, how they're faring right now.
it's really, really, I think, important to, to think about right now because in 2020, everybody hunkered down. Mm. Yeah. Retention rates for employees were the highest they've ever been. Like, nobody was leaving, right? Because everyone's afraid that you have, no, we have no idea what the future holds. There's a lot of uncertainty. But what that has also done is it shifted the mindset for all business owners of, of survival. How do we just survive? Yeah. How do we keep going? And then how do we remain on top of our competitors when we get out of this? Mm. Right. But one thing that they are not considering, and I have seen this because we have conducted research during COVID-19, is when we get through all of this, mm-hmm. your employees will remember how you treated them. Yes. 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 And I think we are, I'm calling it the great job churn of 2021. Yep. In Q3 and Q4, as we continue to progress out of this yes. pandemic, we will see exoduses of people leaving their, their, their current jobs. Why? Because, well, people have figured out I can either work at a different location or I can work, I want to move closer to family. So we're going to leave and go into a different industry or their job mm. has completely changed. It's not the yeah. job that it used to be. And this whole like working from home things, not working for me or the scheduling or the product, whatever it is, it's given people time to think. Yeah. And they go, you know, is this really what I want? A lot of people have been furloughed. A lot of people have been laid off. A lot of people's pay has been cut dramatically. Yeah. And they will remember, they will remember how you treated them. And I think now more than ever, and we're advocating this for this a ton. We have, we put this in the book. I think every good employee that you have right now, so if you're a manager, you're listening to this show, you have lead, you have other people on your team, this would be the number one thing that I would recommend right now is you take your key players, the best of the best, and you conduct with them what I call a status interview. A status interview is not a performance review. It's not a one-on-one management meeting. It is a status check. I came from the medical field, so I think this is why I call it that mm. because in the OR, when we were when we were doing operations and and working on people, the doctors would always call out, what's the status of the patient? I need a status update. And what they're asking for are the vital signs. What are the vital signs showing me? Yeah, because vital signs Mm -hmm. determine whether you're alive or dead. And a business is a living, living, breathing organism, right? You've got your heart rate, your respiratory Mm -hmm. rate, your body temperature, and your blood pressure. Those are your four vitals. If one of those is out, you're dead, you're gone. And so I think right now, uh, more than ever, your key players we need to conduct the status interview. And it consists of, of three questions. They're very simple. Before I say these three questions, though, every status interview needs to start with vocal praise. These are mm-hmm. your rock stars. This is your all-star cast. Mm-hmm. Your best of your best employees. That You cannot lose them. You need them to survive as an organization. You, you don't, it doesn't have to be a formal meeting. You can even call them. Mm-hmm. But the purpose is... is is again, you start the conversation with vocal praise. Hey, Johnny, it's, 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 it's Phil. I just wanted to call and listen, man, it has been rough uh, this year. And I just need to, I need you to know how much you mean to us. Like you, you killed it in this situation. You grew still, despite the pandemic, you helped, you were, you were there for us. You were, whatever the situation, start with vocal praise. And then the next question you ask is what can I do to keep you here? Powerful question. Uh, because what you're doing is you're, you're expressing the need uh, f- for them. Mm. You're expressing value. What can I do to keep you here? Number two is what is getting in the way of your success 
in this company? Is it because of the manager? Is it because, uh, is it pay? Is pay an issue? Um, I just, I need to know how I can block for mm. you. What's getting in the way? And then the third question is what can I do to help you get there? Every all-star employee needs to be asked those three questions this month because we are in a transition period right now mm. and your employees are thinking, is this where I want to remain or is now the opportunity to bounce? Yeah. Status. So, Check the status of your people. Such a great point because we were just talking about um, there's an opportunity to uh, uh, bring in uh, a training, which would still remain online. And we were talking about whether we would do it uh, in the next month or wait for over the summer months. And like, we just know, because obviously with the, the velocity of everybody getting vaccinated, people are just going to be like, I am going outside. I'm going to go see people. I'm going to hug trees. I'm going to hug other people that I don't know. Like people are just going to go outside. So to your point, that, that exodus of just getting out of their house and being like, I was afraid before everything's good. The sun is out. We've made it through this. And uh, I love that you referenced the point about, you know, they're going to, they're going to remember how people were treated or how they were treated, right? It's the great Maya Angelou. People really remember how, what you said, it's how you made them feel, right? And how we right. treat them in the moment. And with the opportunity to move on, if we aren't having that conversation to your point about, you know, asking the question, because I think that's a powerful question is, you know, um, what can we do to keep you here? Yeah, I love that Oh, I, I wasn't leaving. Well, no, 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 I, I know, but I want to future-proof our relationship. I want to make sure that we are putting, you know, uh, that we're building the roadmap that, and, and we pride ourselves on that here. Like the org chart here is always, and, and, and Gary's vision for our company, uh, you know, on an international level is, and you said it earlier, how do we create the environment which no one would ever want to or need to right. leave? Yeah. You know, if, if, if your company in any industry is, is providing that roadblock and what's getting in your way. If there's a glass ceiling that's preventing somebody's professional or financial growth, they're going to seek other, and, unless they know that they can have an honest conversation full of care and candor right. with their leader and their mentor of, I want to move. And they, and, we, and you can look at the org chart and say, where do you want to go? And we've always prided ourselves on that. The, the two people here, we were both agents before we moved into these roles. That yeah. just speaks to the growth of our company and the opportunity yeah. of our company. Um, so I, I love that you pointed that out. I do, before we lose you, I do want to get to the point and you can protect the innocent, Clint. I love you for that. Please give me your, and maybe you might have to say Chick-fil-A because I'm guessing they might've been one of your success stories. Um, please give me like the, the, the company that like, some of the tenants of the company that was uh, a horror show and some of the tenants of the company that were awesome. Like what, what are your, what are your, don't do this, do that. Like Lewis and Clark at Forrest. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, so I want, when I wrote the book, I wanted the book to be solution based, not mm. problem based. Sure. Okay. You know, I, let's talk about the solutions, not the problems. Now mm. there's many, many problems. Like for example, <laughs> we, there, uh, there's four types of managers. chapters one through 98. <laughs> yes, yes, unfortunately. And, and like there's four types of managers in every organization. Mm. Uh, the first one we found was the removed manager. It was a big problem. Managers that were just burnt out. They should have retired 20 years ago. Mm. Then you have the buddy manager. This is the manager that wants to be everybody's friend. Mm. Yeah. They want to be liked more than they're respected. Mm. Then you have the controller. We saw this a ton. And this is like that old command and control, put your head down, don't complain, 
Do you know how we used to sell houses? Don't complain. We had no software. <laughs> we, we, we had, had a binder. No, there was no Facebook to market on. No, no. We went like that old school, like, yeah, I yeah. show you I love you because I give you a page. Uphill both and ways with a loose leaf notebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, then, and then again, then we find the mentor, the mentor manager. And that was the most significant. Okay. I think another thing that was really interesting that we saw that was unfortunate is so many companies, they put so much emphasis and time on vision. Mm. Like what's our company standard? What's our goals? What's our, what does the company stand for? What's the mission statement? Mm. And this was the highest statistic in all of our research. It was the only 95% stat, but 95% of all people in an organization, when I asked them, what's the, what's the company vision? 95 had no clue. No idea. 95%. Yeah. No clue. But yet, you know, uh, we drive it so hard. We talk about it, but yet it's like 54 pages long, you know, right. It's 16 things and, and it's, 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 it's detailed and it's intricate and it's, and, and it, what was interesting is that that small little 5% were companies that it was simple. Their mm. mission statement was so simple. One, maybe two, maybe three things. Yeah. And then they made it memorable. And then every decision they made was revolved around that. Yeah. There was a company called Weave that we, we did undercover research with, and they, they have three core values. Our people are hungry, they're caring, and they're creative. And then they tied every core value to a mascot. So the, the gorilla was creative. Yeah. The bear was hungry and the sloth was caring. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and everywhere you walk into that building, everywhere on the walls, sloths, gorillas, uh, <laughs> like bears, every decision in that company was based around those three core objectives. Interesting. And I walked up to employees and said, hey, what's the vision of the company? Every one of them is the only 100% stat that we yeah. have. Every employee is like, oh, we're hungry, we're caring, we're creative. Hashtag sloth. Check out Hashtag the sloth. Dude. Check out the lobby. Powerful. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, yeah. Powerful, that's like right? alignment, yeah. right? Like everyone's in it alignment is. and you can move together. If you're facing in the right direction, all you have to do is keep walking. Unfortunately, mm. most people have no idea what that direction is. Mm. So how do you, you know, and then we expect to, to move forward <laughs> as a company. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I, I, I probably use, uh, Aaron would argue I used way too many analogies. Um, and we were actually on a regional call uh, a few weeks ago. And it's funny because uh, this is with Ava, Aaron, and uh, she has her assistant in the background, in the weeds, taking notes. So after the meeting, there are like bullet points and reference points. And I referenced Lord of the Flies. So sure enough, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reference point of William Golding, Lord of the Flies, because I referenced yeah. the fact that, you know, there can be failures when everybody grabs their conch shell and their torch and scatters into the jungle in 15 different directions, yep. right? So, yep. you know, and we pride ourselves. And like you said, you've got the visionary and the manager, the person who's telling up in the crow's nest, drunk, screaming, go that way. That's Nathan. <laughs> Love him, right? We've got our manager making sure the oars aren't broken. And then we have the mentor making sure everyone on the boat knows how to row, right? So having those three different skill sets and, and we, we pride ourselves on sitting down and having a, a vision meeting every fall for the direction of what we want, you know, sort of ironic that we thought we knew what 2020 was going to bring, but for 2021 moving forward and we might get off track, although we have these alignment meetings on a regular basis, you know, and then, then there's new initiatives coming in all the time, like you said. So making sure in all of that, we're still, you know, having those care conversations. So when this cloud lifts, 
you know, we will have massive retention with our agents, not because we're, you know, well, I'm, there's no other choice. There's a million other choices when it comes to where you want to work in this industry of real estate. So, uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that from the top down, I was just in a meeting today and I was able to call down um, and, and talk to Susanna, uh, his right hand and say, Hey, um, Edward needs, you know, some time with, with Nathan and we're 700 agents. And, and he's still that connected because, you know, he wants to be because he's here, you know, and that's wildly, that's wildly impactful. And I, I call our, I call our group, the, the, the spoiled rich kids of real estate, because they don't yeah. understand really what we have here in our little flavor of this company, you know, that Nathan's created, which is huge. Yep. It matters. You know? And it's the thing that people work for. It's, it's, it's the difference between being a successful company mm. and a significant company. Yes. Yeah. We just talked about that last week, success and significance, right? You know, yep. and that, that's the impact of, of being Mr. Jensen and having your story told years later. Yes. Not like, what was his name? Like massively impactful. That's right. That's and I right. guess it's, yeah, yeah. the endeavor for that is like, are you going to be somebody's Mr. Jensen? Or should you go back and make the care call to your Mr. Jensen that you haven't spoken to in forever? If he or she is still with us, right? Totally. Right. Yeah. And, and again, it shows the power of it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. For the world. Yep. And that that's how we live. That's how we create an, an organization where people don't just survive, but they actually thrive. Yep. Yeah. It's beautiful. If you didn't know anybody, you'd feel like he's hung out with with uh, a lot of a lot of people at our company for quite some time. Right. <laughs> I mean, the alignment of all the conversation, yeah. the words. And just, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really important that, you know, we're always talking to, to, to our agents about the fact, like, who do you spend the most time with, right? It's you, right? Who are you having some of the worst conversations with yourself? And it really starts within yeah. and how we, and how we decide if we truly feel we're a gift, how are you delivering yourself to the universe every day? Yep. And if you are a gift and you're under delivering, cause you're deciding to be a secret agent. Uh, or are you pouring yourself into your community? Are you making the care calls? You know, because like no one's at, we've run the math. You've done a lot of statistics in the last five years for your book. Uh, I love it here. Right. Um, we run this math every day. No one, 0, 0.0 humans are offended when you call to find out how they're doing. Yeah. Right. That, that's that's the, the new math every well, day. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I keep thinking about this one question, this like, what can I do to keep you here? Mm. Like, that is like an ultimate care question, right? Like, um, and how many people think that their perspective is everyone's perspective. So they don't want to ask it because they assume they know the answer or, um, you know, they're afraid of what the answer is going to be. Yes. Like, I would think like from a leadership or a management perspective, um, that, generally people in that role are focused on money, right? So that they're afraid to ask that question. I just wonder if your research brought that up. Like, I'm afraid to ask that question because I'm going to ask all my employees mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're all going to ask for more money. Yeah. What if they ask for ski passes and, and a raise? Yeah. <laughs> and like, what if I can't do that? But yeah. how many people don't ask for that, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But here's the thing that we tell everybody. So say they, they, they say, well, yeah, I want a 20% increase in my pay. And you can't do that. Mm. Like, that's just not in the budget. Yeah. Here's the thing is when they say that, you honestly tell them what's possible. You honestly tell them if it's not possible. Right. So if they're asking for a 20% increase and you're like, I, I can't do that right now. Candor. 
Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. And second, and second, here's the second piece is, is there an alternative? Mm. Is, there, is there something else that I can do? Like, what are some other things? Maybe, okay, I can't give you 20% off, but I can give you Fridays off. <laughs> right. Or I can, I can, I can, you know, think of some other alternatives, right? Because mm. again, the goal is to create a win-win situation is to make sure that they're seen, heard and understood. And they might say, I don't know. No, that's really what I need. I just need some money. Then, okay, then let's, let's create a growth development plan. Let's figure out what we can do together, what you can do, what I can do to justify that to where we can get to that part where I can actually do that for you. Mm. And I'm being open and honest. I'm going to show you kind of the books and our limitations with our budget and what we're bringing in. You don't have to give specific numbers, but you're being real with them. Yeah. Right. If I could do it, I would do it, but I can't right now. These are the limitations, but if we get to here, then I can't. And, and, and if there is no resolve and there is no opportunity to find something, at least you asked. Right. Yeah. Right. You left have. yourself open for interpretation. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I just keep thinking is that it's like, like how many people just don't even ask the question because they either assume they know the answer or they don't, they, they're afraid of what they might find out. Right. So You've heard that story of like, if you, if you feed a man a fish, then you feed him for a day. Yeah. yeah. But if you can teach, teach him, a man to fish. you can teach a man to fish you for, a life. for a life. Yep. Every time I hear that, I say, who said the guy wanted a fish? Right. <laughs> Who said the guy wanted a fish? I wanted a T-bone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but like that, that. The point is, ask, ask them. Yeah, ask, ask them. Yeah, and I think you'll get a lot closer to the to, to the resolution. Yeah, we don't ask enough questions in general. I think we're afraid we, of the answer sometimes. We, yeah. yeah, we really just don't ask enough questions. <laughs> Well, and when we're, when we're talking to our agents and we're always saying, you know, my, my bullet points that'll be on my gravestone are ask great questions, take great notes, have honest conversations. And the, the ask great questions, I always get pushed back of, okay, well, what's the great question? It's the next one. It's just peeling that onion and asking the next question, right? And I love that you brought up the fact about the, the employment exodus that we're bound to see in Q3 and Q4 because people are going to feel free to start to shop around. And because mm -hmm. other industries are getting created. Under oh. this cloud of COVID, people are building businesses in their garage like Hewlett and Packard right now, right? Oh, so yeah. that being said, if if you thought before, as Aaron was referencing, you know, making the care calls aren't happening at companies that didn't have that that culture baked in before, you know, and and I even I just like the way a lot of companies throw that word around because I think a lot of companies throw that word around. Um, we're fortunate that we've got I think Stanford and Harvard have both written white papers on our culture at our company, yes. which is pretty cool, yeah. right? And we, I think we do a great job. I think it's how we're wired. I think it's because we're privately held. There's a lot that goes into that. Mm -hmm. Above and beyond that, I think some people are sitting home now that got furloughed that are working from their couch with their dog, which sounds great. And at the same time, they're realizing that wasn't culture that was a building full of people. That's right. There was no connection. Even That's if you, right. because there were just, there were passive acquaintances. They weren't relationships. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that every, every company has to be like, we're a family. Cause I think that's a throwaway term that people use too. Yeah, um, yeah. At the same time, do you have, uh, are you in alignment? And it goes back to how you're bringing people in. Do they understand the vision and the mission? And do they understand the North star? Why is there a sloth in the lobby? Are they, are they connected to this? Are they in alignment with your goals and your standards? And is everybody rowing in the same direction to go back to the boat analogy? Right. Yeah, you yeah. have you have some employees right now that are like, I I, I hope I never go back. Mm. I hope we never go back to the yeah. office. Yeah. And then you have the employees that are like, I cannot wait. Yep. Right. Yep. To the office. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, some of that's personal, right? But a lot of that is culture. 
Yeah. And it's really hard to get to that point. But it's also, I think, equally as hard to destroy a bad culture. Once you've really gotten something that's like you look at the, the culture at KW, like that's that's hard to destroy overnight. Yeah, it wouldn't. It's taken a long time to get there, but it is mm. hard to destroy mm. the, the feeling and the passion and the culture of Keller Williams. It's harder to destroy it. And it can happen. But again, once you build something and you get to that level, it is mm. harder to destroy. And I think that's yeah. something that's reassuring to let and remind leaders of. So before we go, uh, tell us where we can find it. You must have a copy in front of you. Can you hold it up so people can see what the cover looks like? Yeah, dude. I, and I you've got some great liner notes. Did I see John Maxwell? Oh heck yeah, man! Wow did did you beat him <laughs> yeah, in a round? Of, did you beat him in a round of golf and you got him to do that one for you? I did. I was like, John, it's time to call in a few favors. So I love, love, love. That's awesome. Oh, I yeah. can't wait. So uh, is it April? April twelfth? Or am I getting the date wrong? April thirteenth. There is it when is. We okay. April 13th, you can already pre-ordered on Amazon, right? And is it going to be available Audible? Talk to us about that as well. Yeah, yeah, we've got the Audible. I just finished the Audible, and so it's being uploaded to Audible itself as we speak. Yeah, I saw you uh, on, on Instagram, uh, no kissing in the uh, in the recording yeah, booth yeah. with yeah, your wife. And congratulations on your little one as well. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you to you both. This has been special for me, and I appreciate it. And yeah, the memories that we have and the opportunity that we've, we've had to be together. And, and I just appreciate the support a lot. We're excited to get the book uh, into our uh, our company's hands and make sure that people read it. And I, I would also throw this out there too. And I heard this from uh, a great coach in the past. If you choose to listen to a book um, as you pull over after you've been on the road for 30 or 45 minutes or whatever flight you were on, if you're listening to the audible version, ask yourself the questions you would teach around the content you just heard, right? to make sure that it's baking in, you know, I think it's wildly important because we can passively listen to a book and not get its full intent. So um, we created, we created in the book a little, it's called mastering your moments. So at the end of, of every book, there's, there's some really cool yes. questions and create that process. I didn't want it to just, you know, be a book you read, but it's, it's, it's a manual. It's something that yeah. every manager should keep in their desk and refer to. And, as and write in right? Like if they need to write in. So I, I used to teach kids to do that and I will get that book and write all over it mm -hmm. and then give my husband a clear copy. Cause he's in, he's a recruiter. So, um, he talks about the culture of a company all the time with people. Yeah. Um, and so he'll be really excited to read it too. I can um, tell you, Clint, we've got, uh, We've got Nate here, obviously, and uh, and he has uh, he throws a lot of weight around here for a, a guy who's four eight, right? So he will definitely make sure the New England region of our company uh, is is digging into this book, so we can yeah, uh, so make excited. sure our leadership here is that much stronger. And we're gonna drag you back in. The bromance will continue. We're gonna drag you back in to talk to our people here because you've got <laughs> out, outside of just our sales division, we've got seven hundred agents. We've got probably another three hundred operationally. So there's yeah. a thousand copies coming to the New England area uh, to to hit our market center and we'll we'll definitely have you on back uh, have you on soon and and bring you back in to talk to our people directly for sure i mean sure. i love it here it is bunch. clint pulver i love it here uh you can pre-order it right now on amazon and it's going to be available on audible as well thank you sir for joining us we appreciate your time appreciate you both thank take you. care thank we'll see you, you soon bye-bye you guys